judging everybody else and we say God as I see the things that are wrong with the world and there are many and I see the things that are wrong around me and there are infinite things and there's all sorts of things I don't agree with and I don't like but God rather than me focusing on that Lord will you turn your gaze and help me to see what's going on in my own heart it's obvious that things are more than a little crooked in the world Today, Pastor Daniel explains that following the Lord doesn't mean that you walk around ignoring the brokenness and injustice around you. But instead of letting those things consume your focus, you should allow them to spur you on to look inward and see if they're present in your heart. Ask God to help you see where you're off track and let Him transform your life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Psalms chapter 139 as he continues his message, God Transforms You. And in a lot of ways, we meet David. David is a great warrior because his strength is in God, not just in his skills, but he was skilled. David was a great warrior. So really what David is doing is, even as a great warrior, David is asking God to bring justice down. And even though it's shocking to us what he's saying, he's saying, God, there are your enemies and they are killing us. Will you intervene and make it right? Now, what I love so much about David here is David's trust is in God, not in his own strength. And the biggest mistake we make as people is we want to take things into our own hands rather than trusting in the God who will bring things to right. And the big mistake we make is we want to do it ourselves. But what David is saying here is he's saying, God, my heart is broken for these who are your enemies. And Lord, I want you to take care of this. And I'll be honest with you, it's a great way to pray. Now, you might say, well, it's a great way to pray. Because David wrote this and was inspired by the Spirit a thousand or so years before Jesus died on a cross for God's enemies. And when you pray for God to take care of your enemies, oftentimes God saves them. And he makes them your brother and sister. And that's the way God deals with this stuff. And I love that. Like, I think it's so awesome that God, the way God deals with his enemies is he sends his son on a rescue mission. And if you're here today, if you say, I am born again, it's because you at one point were God's enemy. There was never a time in your life that you weren't God's enemy and God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to take care of your sinfulness and your rebellion. And if you're here and your heart is open to God, it's because God proactively and unilaterally came after you. He has placed his spirit within you to change you from the inside out. And that's the good news of the gospel. I'm not a Christian because I got things right or I deserve it. I'm a Christian because God came on a rescue mission in the person and work of Jesus by the Spirit for me. Now, you may have grown up in the church. I'm here to tell you, you were still God's enemy even though your parents loved Jesus. Because when, as early as you could, your parents are like, put that down. You're like, no. Don't eat that cookie. I already ate it. 
That makes us God's enemies. And so really what we see here is David is, he's aware of the fact that there are, God has enemies. Now, I want to read to you the same passage in another paraphrase. And this I'm going to read, this is by Eugene Peterson. It's in a paraphrase called The Message. Now, I read a paraphrase a couple messages ago. People got mad at me for reading a paraphrase. And so you're going to get mad at me for reading this again. I just like reading these not, like I, I read my Bible, but then the paraphrases, they can give you kind of different senses of, of, of trying to bring out the meaning of these words. Not saying that the paraphrase is right. I'm saying that it's not wrong. How many times you ever read a sentence and your teacher's like, now say that in your own words. That's what a paraphrase is. Okay, so let's not be freaked out by it. You know, I had someone say, oh, you read those paraphrases, they're bringing heretical doctrine into the church. I'm like, look, if, if two sentences in a paraphrase can undo someone's faith, then we're really doing a lousy job here at Crossroads. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I just say that because there's always someone who's like going to be all messed up, but I'm going to read it anyway, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Eugene Peterson paraphrased this this way. He says, and please God, do away with wickedness for good. And you murderers out of here, all the men and women who belittle you, God, infatuated with cheap God imitations. See how I hate those who hate you, God. See how I loathe all this godless arrogance. I hate it with pure, unadulterated hatred. Your enemies are my enemies. See, Eugene Peterson does a great job of drawing out that really what David is getting at is like there are people whose lives are lived as enemies of God. And David is grieved by what he's seeing. So the question for us today is, who defines for you what you're going to love and what you're going to hate? Because if we're supposed to hate what God hates then we need to make sure God's word defines it for us. David says in here, we know who hates God because they speak against the Lord. They take the Lord's name in vain. And ultimately, they're bent on hurting people. So like the fruit of what they're about is right there. You can't miss it. Now, if you want to know what God hates, I want to read to you a passage that I think that you want to, you're going to want to write down and you're going to want to meditate on. Because you should hate these things that God hates. This is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. And you know it's what God hates because it starts, these six things the Lord hates. I love the Bible. It's like, what does God hate? These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Right? So we get, we get this list. Now, listen to this list. And what I want you to do when you hear this list is not think about everybody else, but I want you to think about yourself. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift, in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. <laughs> this is what God hates. And like it's it's what I love about this is it's so easy to say, God hates those who don't like it. No, no, God hates people who are proud. Because pride is self-centeredness as opposed to God-centeredness. God hates lying. 
So anytime we self-preserve and tell a half-truth, what's that old saying? A half-truth is a what? It's a whole lie. Right? Someone who sows discord among the brethren. So right as you go and you tailbear about somebody, you're, and these are the things that God hates. And really what God does is it's real easy to look outside, but really what the Bible does is says, actually, I want you to look right here. I want you to look at yourself. Because what God wants to do is do a work of transformation. And what we should find as we journey with Jesus is that we are proud, but we're less proud than we used to be. We catch ourselves in dishonesty, but we're less dishonest than we used to be. And when we find ourselves being dishonest, we say, you know what? I'm sorry, that was not quite honest. And everyone is shocked because you just own something that they already knew, but you own it. See, when we hate the things that God hates, it becomes deeply transformational for us. And it changes the way we see people because when you notice your own pride, then when you see pride in someone else, rather than judging them for it, you're like, oh, I'm just like that. When we find ourselves being dishonest about something and someone is dishonest, we don't hold it against them. We're like, I do that as well. My pastor, John Henry, used to always say, Daniel, the hardest thing is that when my, my sin looks terrible when someone else does it. So when you catch yourself being really provoked by something that someone does, I'm 99% sure that it's something that you do. You just don't like it when someone else does it in your direction. Do you ever notice that people are like, you talk too much. It's like, well, you're the one who's talking all the time. So when we hate the things that God hates, then it's an opportunity for repentance. It's an opportunity for us to turn from our own wickedness. Because let's be honest, you, you, you look at the things that we do, like, if you think about like, okay, so the, pers- the people who hate God, they speak against the Lord. Do you realize that every time that we doubt or fear irrationally, that is actually a form of functional atheism? When we're freaked out by circumstances and we're not trusting God, like in a sense, we're taking God's name in vain when we do that, aren't we? Now, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to be overly challenging But one of the things that I have found is that when I look at the things that God hates and I look at my own life, I can find species of those things in my own life. I believe in Jesus. I love the Lord. I want to walk with him, but I catch myself at different times being proud. I catch myself not being all the way honest about something. I catch myself sowing a little discord because I'm frustrated. And I think I'm just like everybody else. And so when we hate the things that God hates, now all of a sudden we take a step back and we say, okay, Lord, I want you to do a work in me. And what's amazing is that's exactly what David does here. Because he moves, he's living in the real world with real issues and he's asking God to take care of it. And then verse 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my anxiety. So now really what David is saying is that in the midst of all this, Lord, I want you, I want to be searched and tried. And you should as well. You need to be searched and tried. See, David's grateful for God for who he is, what he's doing. David sees all the injustice and all of the treachery going on around him. And he's like, Lord, take care of it. And then he comes back and he says, Lord, make sure you do an inventory of my heart. An inventory of my life. And really what David does is he 
quotes again verse 1 of Psalm 139. Notice what he says? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Look at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. So even though David is already aware that the all-knowing God who sees everything has searched and tried and known him, he's saying, Lord, do it again right now. Because David is aware that even in his faith in God, there is still transformational work to be done. God wants to do a work. And so David comes back. He's not content to focus on the wickedness of the other people. He's like, Lord, search me and know my heart, God. Check out what's in me. Try me and know my anxieties. And again, we have this picture of God, the great searcher of the hearts. God, the great refiner of the hearts. God who wants to see, he knows what's in us. And David's like, I want to know what's in there. Psalm 26 verses 1 to 3 says it this way. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Now listen, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. You know, there's an old saying that we hear in church that we should love the sinner and we should hate the sin. You ever heard that one before? It's a good one. I got a better one for you. You should love the sinner and hate your sin. You see what I did there? That's pretty good, right? That's what David is doing here. He's saying, look, there are bloodthirsty people. They're the enemies of God. They're coming after us. And it's bad. And God, I want you to deal with it. And I want my heart to line up with you. But Lord, I'm not content just to look at them because Lord, I now, I got your gazes on me. And I'm saying, Lord, search my heart. Know what's in. And Lord, try me and know my fears, my anxieties. See, David is not content with judging other people. He's saying, God, I want you to do a work in me. He's inviting God to be the great physician of his own heart. Can I be honest with you? We live in a day and age where everybody wants to be mad at somebody else. It's like, this is our culture. And because we live in this culture, the people of God are getting caught up in all of this. But then you read Psalm 139, the people who are radiant, they see the injustices. It's not like we pretend that there's not injustice, but then we say, Lord, but search me, God. Because we don't have any control over someone else, but God wants to do a work in us. See, this is what I love so much about who Jesus is. This is why I am so grateful to be a follower of Jesus, because Jesus is not done with any of us yet. Like if I were to die right now, I get to be with God in heaven because I am perfected in Jesus. Praise God. I've made a million mistakes, but I am justified just as if I'd never sinned. But while I'm here, oh, there's so much work to be done. I am like a significant rental project. And every single day, God is doing this work in us if we don't spend our time judging everybody else. And we say, God, as I see 
the things that are wrong with the world, and there are many, and I see the things that are wrong around me, and there are infinite things, and there's all sorts of things I don't agree with and I don't like, but God, rather than me focusing on that, Lord, will you turn your gaze and help me to see what's going on in my own heart? As it says in the book of Proverbs, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And we keep our heart by inviting the God who is all-knowing, who is always everywhere, the God who is all-powerful, who sustains us and creates us, the God who thinks infinite thoughts. And we say, God, will you help me understand what's going on inside of me right now? I want you to try my anxieties. What brings me fear and should I fear those things? What's amazing is, you know, like we live in an anxious world right now for good reason. There's all sorts of question marks about tomorrow, about today, what's happening, why it's happening. But if you actually look and ask God to try your own anxieties, you'll learn some pretty amazing things about where you're at. Like most of our anxieties, I believe, is because we just want people to like us. Like we have a deep desire to be liked by people. And what, you know, Jesus said, don't fear those who can just kill the body, but fear those who can kill the body and cast the soul into hellfire. Think of when Jesus talks so calmly. It's, it's like, but what's amazing is, is when we want to be affirmed and liked, oftentimes we're fearing people more than we fear the Lord. So our anxieties are for popularity. Right? It's like our anxieties are about what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus said, what? Don't worry about tomorrow. See, like, it's like a, I could do this all day. Cause, like, and I'm not talking down to anyone. It's like I'm, as I'm praying about these texts and I'm studying them, I have to live this stuff first. And I'm like, Lord, what are my anxieties? What are my fears? Like, what am I worried about? And almost everything that I come up with that I'm worried about, I have a scripture verse that tells me to do the exact opposite. And so I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Like, I'll be honest with you. I want people to like what I'm doing. And I realize it's so bad. I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine because pastors are struggling right now. Because pastors just want to preach the word, but then everyone's mad at them about vaccines, no vaccines, masks, no masks, you know, and it's like, they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I just figure whatever I do, half the people are going to be happy with me. Half the people are going to be mad at me. And they're like, well, how do you do with that? I'm like, not really well. And he's like, well, why don't you do well with it? I'm like, because I want hundred percent of the people to think I'm great. Like, and I'm like, but, there, but when you're in a no-win situation, the only thing that you can do is say, okay, Lord, we're going to do what we think is best. Some people are not going to like it. Some people are going to go on social media and say, I can't believe they're doing that at Crossroads. And I'm like, and it's just like another day in my life. But really deep down, I just want everyone to just be like, man, we love Jesus. And we're just trying to walk with Jesus. But the thing, it's true for you at your job. Amen. It's true for you and your family. Like how many of us are struggling with things in our family because we're trying to like keep it cool with the family, but you really don't like what's going on right now. And, and so what, what happens is when we ask the Lord to turn it back on us. And we say, Lord, help me understand what's going on inside of me. And then, Lord, how do my anxieties and my fears, how does it stack up against what your word says? And what we find 
I think if you're like me, when you look at all the things that you're worried about, you'll have verses that say you shouldn't be worrying that way. And then you say, okay, Lord, help me by your spirit to turn from what I'm doing so that I can walk with you. You know what's beautiful? That's exactly how this psalm ends. Look at how it ends. Verse 24. I mean, I'll read 23 and 24 together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to be led in the way everlasting. See, David's saying, look, God, you're all-knowing, You're always everywhere. You're all powerful. You think infinite thoughts. Your thoughts are beyond my comprehension. They're so valuable to me, but I live in a busted up world where things go wrong and people are against you. And it's hard for me to live the radiant life in the midst of all this. So God, in the midst of all this craziness, search me, Lord, and and, and know what's in my heart and try me and know my anxiety and anything that's within me that is wrong, Lord, I want you to lead me not in that way, but I want you to lead me in the way that is everlasting. And what I love so much about this is David is so real. Like he's not living in a spiritually ideal environment. Just the way we aren't living in a spiritually ideal environment. There are variables that are challenging, but rather than focus on the challenges, he's saying, Lord, check out my heart. And if there's anything in me that mirrors the wickedness that you hate God, I want you to lead me in the other direction. He says it this way, Psalm 5, verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. And brothers and sisters, you want to be radiant In this life, those last two verses is the greatest way. We like to say at Crossroads, we want you to simply respond to Jesus. Right there. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. If there's anything wicked in me, God, lead me in the opposite direction. Lead me in the way that leads to everlasting. To me, verses 23 and 24 of Psalm 130, that is simply responding to Jesus. Because what you're saying is, God, I'm living my life in light of who you are and anything within me that is untoward. Maybe it's the way that I speak or the way that I act or the things that I look at on the internet or what I watch on TV or the way that I handle people who I don't like or I disagree with or when I'm inconvenienced. Whatever that is, Lord, when you show me that, I want you to lead me in the opposite direction. I want you to lead me on the paths of righteousness. And of course, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God or the children of God. And really what David closes this psalm with is our awareness that you and I need to be led. Jesus is Over and over in this psalm, you've seen David lay his heart bare. These verses were no exception. David, with great humility and vulnerability, acknowledged that in the midst of the messed up world he lived in, he needed God to show him the way to live. Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to follow David's example and ask God to lead you away from the wickedness and the fears that threaten to derail you. 
Instead, you could choose to follow God toward healing and joy, toward the abundant life He wants you to have. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel wrapped up this series called Radiant, all about how you can be a beacon of light for the Lord as you live out your faith at street level. Together, we explored what Psalm 139 reveals about who God is. The more you understand these characteristics, the more profoundly your life will radically change as He transforms you. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast on behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.